Bonjour à tous et à tous, c'est quoi le crack et bienvenue sur épisode 27 de The Inline J Flute de Podcast avec moi. Putain de merde, Inline J. <laughs> We have got a very special French episode for you today, so I'm showing off as I'm going to do this entire episode. But anyway, Happy New Year to all of you. This is the first episode of 2024. I hope 2023 was excellent to you all and I hope 2024 is even better. This podcast actually only started mid-2023. It is but a babe still. I treat it like my own child as well. And like my own child, like my own hypothetical child, I will push it mercilessly to its limits, burning out both it and myself in the year 2024. Because 2024 is kicking this podcast into overdrive. We've warmed up. We've done our first six months. We've had 26 episodes in the bank or 27. I can't even, I can't even count anymore. It's great. We've built up this lovely, compassionate, empathetic, and downright fucking hilarious corner of the flute world, or dare I even say, the classical music world. We're attracting all kinds of audiences here. And it's because of you guys getting involved, talking to me, supporting me, building this community. We've done something. This year, it's time for me to give back to you. Big time. I'm going to be getting a lot of big guests on this podcast. And... So I'm recording this on Thursday the 4th of January, 20 minutes ago, I booked a train to Paris for tomorrow where I'm going for a week. Now I'm not going for the podcast, I'm going for leisure, because most of my best friends still live in Paris because I lived there for many years. But while I'm there, I am going to try and rope in a few very big fish to get on this podcast. So I've got two guests in mind, if they are free they will do it. One is purely for my own entertainment, a wonderful person, but a good friend of mine who I would love to get in the podcast just for the crack, and two the biggest fish there is out there and hopefully through getting these big fish more people will come so I'm going to spend a week in Paris trying to convince anyone that plays the flute to come on this podcast so if you're listening to this after 12 30 French time on Friday you can send me a message and ask how Paris is going and I'll send you a picture of me sucking down a bottle of Vin Diesel so anyway we're going to start 2024 with a monster of a topic, a topic that I have been wanting to get onto for a very long time. I know you guys have been waiting for it, and that is the French flute school, or l'école française de la flute. Now, there is a lot of bollocks around this subject, a lot of contradicting information, and so many Americans just misunderstanding everything about the school, about the system, about the translations, everything. It drives me mad. So this is your one-stop shop for the French Flute School. You're going to get every bit of information. We're going to cover where it started, the origins, what makes it unique, what are its characteristics, why is it in Paris, why is it in France, not anywhere else in the world, who are the great figures, and what is the current status. We'll also be explaining all those French terms that you read about. When you read about Concours de Flute, Premier Prix, and you're wondering, what the fuck is that? I'm going to give it all to you. I've got it all. Now... Why am I going to give it to you? Why can I make these grandiose claims that this is going to be the one, zap, the one episode that you have to listen to? The one place you have to go for everything on the French Flute School? Well, firstly, Inline G Flute Podcast, it's the best flute podcast in the game. We know that now. Okay, that is accepted. Okay, well, the exception of Talking Flutes, which is excellent, and Flute Space. But they're different kinds of podcasts. For this style of podcast, this is the best one. Maybe the only one. So, you know... You're going to get a seal of authenticity when you come here for any kind of historical information. But secondly, and more importantly, I studied in Paris. I did my postgraduate studies in Paris for several years. I lived in the city. I studied with all the great French flute players. I've been to all the conservatoires. I've watched the classes of every teacher. I've been involved with the orchestras. I know the system inside out. And more importantly, I know it from a foreigner's point of view. So I know all the mistakes and all the misconceptions that we have about this whole thing. 
and I can explain them all to you because I had to do it the long way. So you guys don't have to pay 1,200 euro a month in rent to live in a flat with four mice in it to learn all this for three years. You can just listen to one episode. So, what else have I got to say before we get into this? Oh yeah, I do speak French. So that also helps too because there's a lot of mistranslations. And what I don't want you guys doing is listen to Americans who've just Googled Paris and are Francophiles. I don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. I speak French, so that's going to help a lot. And Americans just don't know. Most of them don't know. And America is the antithesis to all that is French. America and France are polar opposites. America is loud and brash and confident and new wave, while France is more subtle and nuanced and dignified and traditionalist. And the, uh, the guarding of the old ways. They're total opposites. Americans totally miss French culture. So, trust me, I'm an Irish person. Me and France... Irish people in France are like cousins. We're Celtic cousins. All the great Irish writers went to Paris. Samuel Beckett was there. Oscar Wilde was there. James Joyce was there. We get on with each other. The French and me, we understand each other. And I have a bit of Frenchness about me. So, without further ado, we're going to cover everything. And we're going to start with our first topic of the day. Pronunciation. I'm going to get this out of the way quickly. So, we're going to set down some ground rules to language for the rest of this podcast. I am one of those pricks who pronounces French words correctly. Why do I do it? Because I have a very small and fragile male ego. Tout simplement. I am a typical man and I need to do things right to make myself feel big. It's like therapy today, isn't it? But today I'm going to do both. I'm going to pronounce the French words in the anglicized version, the version you might be familiar with, and then I'm going to also pronounce it in the correct French pronunciation. That way you guys get both and you can decide which to use. Maybe depending on the circumstance. When I'm back in Lisbon in my hometown and I say something in a French accent, I would get my shite knocked in. <laughs> I remember when I first came back to Belfast after I moved to Paris, I did a masterclass for James Galway in Belfast and I flew back and I was very early and I went to Starbucks and they had panneau raisin, but I never knew that you could buy it in Belfast. I thought it was a French thing only and I'd been eating them in France, like a little raisin patisserie. And I went up and I didn't know, did I say pan Oh, raisin? Do I say pain or raisin? Surely they know that pain is pain. Like, pain is the French word for bread. Surely they know that much, at least. And I said, pain raisin. And they went, what? And they went, oh, pain or raisin. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's the one. But I didn't get my bollocks knocked in. But I'm going to try and remember to give you both versions of this whole way through the podcast. And this is also because I need to stop Americans butchering the French language. I did a bit of research in this podcast. I'm not going to say who or what I found, but there's a lot of Americans out there talking about the French flute world and they butcher the fucking pronunciations. If I hear one more American say, de la sonority, de la sonorité, or fucking the worst, Georges Barrel, the flute player, George Barrer, George Barrer, fuck off. So... For anything that doesn't have an English translation, a direct English translation, i.e. names of places, composers, institutions, I will give you the anglicized and the French version. Now, let's move on to the second topic. We've got that out of the way. What is the French flute school? Now, sounds stupid to say this, but I will get it out of the way. It is not a physical building or school. When we talk about the French flute school, we are talking to a style of flute playing that originated in Paris and has been continued been continued through a long line of teachers, also in Paris. Who the fuck wrote that? Me. Um, it originated originated officially with a guy called Paul Taffanel, French version Paul Taffanel, in the latter half of the 1800s. I'm sure most flute players are familiar with Taffanel. 
Now, the actual style of playing, it's hard to put a limit on this because it's obviously it has changed so much, but it's generally characterized by a very homogeneous and light tone. Lots of vibrato use and different types of vibrato and an emotional approach to the line of music. Very romantic in that sense. Romantic with a capital R. Basically, it's it's honestly, it's a fancy way of saying that the modern style of great flute playing worldwide, what we accept as good flute playing, comes from that French school. And I'm going to explain why soon, but everything we accept as great flute playing originates from the French school. Um... Now, although French flutists nowadays still play with a very different and distinctive style, the differences between countries across the world are not as pronounced as they were when this school arose. So when the French school started to come up, flute playing was totally different to what it is now. Nowadays, we all have we all play the modern bow and flutes. We have a general understanding of it and there's nuances within it. But back when this school rose up, it was revolutionary. And that set the bar for everything you're doing. So if you're a flute player now... I guarantee some part of your playing comes from the French flute school, if not most of it. All roads, therefore, lead back to Paris. But why Paris? And why Why even France? Well, as most things did in France, it started with the revolution. La révolution. Sorry, I'm not drinking alcohol today. I'm drinking coffee because I'm going to be on the Vin Diesels tomorrow. Um, la révolution. That's the pronunciation. You want to say it with me? La Révolution. Uh, this is during the French Revolution. Most things do arise from this. The French Revolution, really quickly, 1700. France went from having a monarchy, king, queen. Louis the Sixteenth, I think, was the last king. Um, until the people, the average people, overthrew them and developed a republic. Got rid of the church, got rid of the monarchy, and started bringing in a democracy and a republic. No more kings, presidents only. Um, they chopped off a lot of people's heads in the process. Believe it or not, this is actually true. You can Google this. The last time... There was a public, or no, an official, no, it was public, but an official beheading in France was 1977. Yeah, you heard me right, 1977, as in like 40, 50 years ago. That was the last time someone got their head chopped off by the government in France. (laughs) Um, But also, the revolution had a huge movement to separate state and church. The republic, the government, had nothing to do with the church. That was the whole push. That's where we get this in the music. Because up until this point, all the great music schools in France were ran by the church. We think of Notre Dame, the cathedral, and they had a school there. That was all ran by the church. So what they wanted to do after the revolution was bring the Paris Conservatoire, called the Conservatoire de Paris, or now known as the CNSM, which is something I will get on to because it doesn't exist anymore. The Conservatoire de Paris, that's not a thing. Paris Conservatoire does not exist anymore. But anyway... At that time, it was brought under state control. Okay, so end of the 1700s, early 1800s, we've now brought music schools and especially the Paris Conservatoire under state control. No more church. That means students, first of all, they're accepted from different backgrounds, different social statuses, different parts of the country. You didn't have to be religious anymore. They brought in a lot more people as well. But you now have a modern and very well-funded state conservatory in Paris, which was quite rare at these times to have such a well-funded state-run conservatory in Europe. And America, I don't even know if America was founded at this point. Fuck knows what you guys were doing over there at that point. Um, But traditionally, in the Paris Conservatoire, I will refer to it as the Paris Conservatoire for now until later when I explain why it doesn't exist anymore. But at this point it did. Traditionally, there has always been one flute teacher. And then they retire and a new one takes over. Um, There are two at the minute. 
And that is a new thing. So there are two professors there at the minute. That only came about in the late 90s. Up until then, it was always one. And then each teacher also has an assistant who they train up and will also cover classes for them and things like that. Now, before the revolution, there was a couple of famous people that held this job. Most notably is probably Devienne. We've all played his concertos, François Devienne. Um, great composer. But from 1829 until 1859, it was a guy called Jean-Louis Tulou. Tulou. Okay, Jean-Louis Tulou, not Tulou. Okay, now he was a great teacher, but there was one slight issue with Monsieur Tulou. He wasn't just a teacher, but he also designed flutes. He built his own flutes. So he made all the flutes for his students, and therefore every student in the Paris Conservatoire played on Tulou flute. No problems there, but they weren't Bohem system flutes. They were the old system. Now, Bohem did pop up. Bohem had already started making flutes at this point, but they didn't really take off. Not a lot of people bought them. Not a, people, a lot of people wanted to play them, especially in Germany. So Tulu was still having his students play the old system flutes. A couple of keys, not this modern flute that we have now. The Bohem system, which popped up in the 1800s. You'll hear about this in episode two, I think, of the flute Excalibur. But the Bohem system, when it popped up, renovated the flute. We still have that system nowadays. So that was the main problem. The, the flutes he was making weren't Bohem. Now, uh... One maker in France was making Bohem flutes. And this person was ahead of everyone else in bringing in the Bohem system. I say Bohem, it's Boom, but again, I'm going to anglicize it. Um, the Bohem system, one guy, Louis Lutte. I say Lutte, Lou or Lutte, whatever you want. Um, Louis Lutte. I will use the anglicized version from now on, Louis Lutte. He was making Bohem flutes. Now, when Toulouse finally retires from the Paris Conservatoire in 1959... Louis Locke gets the contract to make the flutes for the conservatoire. Now, this changes everything. Because suddenly you have a well-run, state-funded conservatory, or conservatoire, music school, where they're all playing on the new Bohem flutes. And not just any Bohem flutes, but Louis Locke flutes. The finest flutes of the generation. Very ahead of its time. So this is the main reason why Paris was the place that revolutionised the flute. Louis Locke provided the flutes to the conservatoire. That was it. And... The first person to win the premier prix, the first prize, which everything I've said in that sentence, it makes no sense. I will translate that properly later because you do not win it and it is not a prize, but we will call it that anyway. The premier prix, the first person to do it on the new Bowen flute, Paul Taffinel, 1860. And there we are. That's where it all starts rolling. So from 1860, he later became a teacher on the Bowen flute, loved it, became the grandfather, the visionary the beginner of the french flute school that's where it ends or that's where it starts doesn't end there jesus um his student one of his many students philippe gobert also finished his book with him i should have had the book out man i was gonna have the book i was gonna say it there but i have this picture instead how cool is this picture one of my friends here in cologne is an artist a graphic designer does a lot of video games and stuff like that and he did this for my birthday i look like jafar out of aladdin it's fucking great i love it it's meant to have the but you guys all know like the tafnel gobert books they're not co-written that's very important to know tafnel started writing them he died gobert finished them there's quite a big of an quite a big age difference between tafnel and gobert but all flute players have played them at some point the 17 daily exercises you've all done them at some point they are the building blocks every flute player does them at some point um so anyway we're back to 1860. Now, you've got a great conservatoire, an already tradi existing tradition of excellence on the flute, fully separated from the church, and they've kitted out all the students with these beautiful Louis Lot Bohem system flutes. And that's it. That's the reason why France led the world in the flute. 
That's why it was France, not anywhere else. No other reason. That is it. Happy uh, mixture of circumstances all to come together at one time. Now, after this did come a long line of great teachers and a long history of great teachers and players that continued and built on that tradition. I'm not saying it was just luck and it built there. That's how it started. From there, it really took off. And also, quick note, the French language does also play a part in why it's so important. Why France is the innovators for flute and not anywhere else, the French language does really help. The resonance chambers that we use in the French language are very suited to the flute. We have a sound, the fruit, the flute. The Irish language isn't. Um, the sound that we have in French that we don't have in English is U. U, that sound we don't have. Americans and Northern Irish people like myself will say U and it's quite like U. It's up in the nose, very forward. U is a different sound. doesn't exist in English. That sound is almost perfect for the flute in, t- in terms of the resonant chambers inside your mouth and the shape you make inside your mouth. It makes a very fluty sound. Even the way French people say flute, we say flute, they say flute. La flute. Ut. It's with the little hat on the U. Um, U. It's that sound. It really helps. Um, so that does play a role into it. But anyway, let's keep going. So, oh, before we do, quickly, drinks, donations, subscriber, break. Okay, I am not drinking alcohol this week. I was going to open a bottle of red wine, but it is half 11 in the morning and I'm going to Paris tomorrow to probably drink all weekend. So I'm enjoying a lovely French coffee. It is French. My raccoon mug. Now, this is normally the point where I would ask you guys or tell you guys about donations and how it's an independent podcast, blah, blah, blah. For the next two episodes, I'm not going to do that, okay? If you want to donate to the podcast, the information is down there. You can go read it all, but I'm not going to ask you to do that now because I've got something more important that I need to concentrate on. If you are enjoying this podcast, please remember it is fully independent. I do an episode every single week. There are guest interviews. I edit it. I market it. I do graphic design, audio production, video production. Everything is done by me. It is very time intensive. I fucking love doing it. It is the best thing that's happened to me in the last six months. Now, if you want to support the podcast, an even better way, as opposed to donating, and what I would prefer you did for right now, is subscribe to my YouTube channel. Please, for the love of God, subscribe to it. Gareth Houston Flute, go find it. Search the N9G Flute podcast. Subscribe to the channel. Like a couple of videos. Comment on them. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, subscribe there and throw it a five-star review. Go onto my social media pages and follow me, especially Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Okay? All of them are Gareth Houston Flute or Gareth Houston Flutist, I think it is in Facebook. It'll take you five minutes. It is one of the best ways to support independent artists. If you do that for me, it would be massive. It actually is more appreciated than donating money at this point. If you only follow me on Instagram, go and throw me a like on Facebook. Go subscribe to my YouTube channel. Even just fucking log into Spotify. Find the Inline G Flute podcast. Throw it a five-star review. Doing these things is so helpful at the minute. And with the more big guests I'm getting on in future, I want the podcast to start rolling a little bit more. So... Don't worry about donating for this week. Save your money. Go buy yourself something nice. If you are a regular donator or if you were thinking of donating, instead, it costs you nothing. Take five seconds now while you're listening to this. Open up your phone. Go follow me on all the social medias that you're on, please. And most importantly, subscribe on YouTube because I need more subscribers. Like and comment. It just helps the algorithm. I don't care what you comment. I don't give a shit. The reason we all ask you to do this as artists is because the algorithm loves it. It will recommend it to more people. Also, I have a bit of a problem with my Instagram account at the minute. I am not appearing on anyone's pages outside of followers until mid-March. So especially Instagram. If you're there, please follow me on that because, yeah, I have a little bit of a problem with my Instagram at the minute. Anyway, let's get back to the podcast. So... 
We're talking about this long line of teachers now that continues the French tradition, the French flute school. We've established it started officially in the late 1800s with Paul Daffinel. Where does it go from there? Now, I've got a list of all the teachers that ever taught in the Paris Conservatoire, up until semi-recently. It's not fully updated, but I know he's there now. So before Toulouse, which we talked about in 59, you did have the likes of Devienne, uh, Hugo as well, quite a famous one. After Toulouse, we did have a period with Altez before Taffinet took over. So Taffinet would have studied with Altez, who also wrote a method book for the flute. Um, not Altus, not the same as the flute brand. Altez, A-L-T-E-A-G-U-E-G-A-V. Gav, S. E with the accent. Then, 1894-1908, to Paul Taffinel. We also have people like Adolphe Ennebal and Le Florence, but, or La Florence, sorry, but the most notable one after that is 1920 to 1931, Philippe Gobert takes over. Massive one. Then, 1932 to 1940, one of the big dogs, Marcel Moise. Or in French, Marcel Moise. Moise. Okay? Marcel Moise. Marcel Moise. He was only there for eight years. And then he went to America. God help him, that fella had no luck. And then after that, it was Gaston Crunel. Moyes then came back for a while and joined Crunel, and they taught together for a while. After that, 1969, we have a long time where, 1969 to 1981, Jean-Pierre Rampal, or in English, Jean-Pierre Rampal, Jean-Pierre Rampal. Then, 1981 to 1990, we have Michel Debust, famously one of the teachers of Emmanuel Bayou, an incredible teacher, by the way, Michel Debust, an incredible guy, wrote an amazing book. These are all legends of the flute world. Next up, Pierre-Yves Artaud, who... I will say nothing about okay fuck Pierre Ivato that's all I'll say he doesn't get mentioned he doesn't get airtime in this podcast for many reasons anyway Alain Marion was also there as Rampal's assistant for a while and then he taught there as well in the 90s so now we're getting to two teacher status and the current teachers at the Paris Conservatoire are the two main teachers are Sophie Cherrier an incredible flute player oh my god Sophie Cherrier she's principal flute with the Ensemble Anticontemporain Oh my god. She has an album out with like modern works. Uh, oh, the Martin Ballade notes on it. Unbelievable. And Philippe Bernal. Lovely guy. I've played for him a few times. Lovely guy. Incredible flute player. And an amazing teacher. Wrote method books. Because to get the job at Paris Conservatoire, you have to be an amazing teacher. Not just good. You have to be basically the best in the world. So yeah, we've got those two there. They both have assistants though. So the two assistants at the minute, I have to make sure I get this right. One is definitely Vincent. Uh, Vincent Lucas is definitely there at the minute. But who else is it? Is it Florence? Yeah, Florence Souchard Delépine. So they are the two assistants, okay? I'll explain that system later. Now, that's the teachers that have taught there. Also, nearly every great flute player up until maybe 30 years ago has studied in Paris. They all have. The reason they don't go there as much more is because the world is becoming much more small uh there's great students it's great schools popping up more great students popping up more so you can go to different cities you don't have to go to paris to be a great flute player anymore but for a long time you did or you would so who studied in paris i don't know everyone you know fucking rompal marion they all studied there as well as maxence larieux jimmy galway jimmy <laughs> jimmy galway jimmy galway there's a great video of james galway speaking french on a french tv show with the just on after the French rugby team. Fucking brilliant. His French is so funny because he speaks it like I do. Stronger accent. Um, yeah, Emmanuel Bui studied there. Sam Cole studied there. Like, they all. Everyone. It was a, the place to study flute, especially in the 80s and 90s. Um, 
So all these great teachers help keep this tradition of the French flute school alive. It's still very much so there. But the, the defining quality now, because the sound has changed, the style of playing has changed. There's, it's not the same style of playing that Moise had or Tafanel had. Nowhere near it. Players play differently, but what there is a tradition of is innovation and refining great flute playing. They're always at the forefront of making the best flute playing. They do still hold on to those ideals of emotion in the musical line, homogeneity, subtlety, nuance. That's all still very important. And a lighter sound in comparison to the Americans and the Brits, that's still there. But the most important thing is this constant ingenuity and innovation that the French Fruit School is always looking for. So that's why it's still the gold standard of the world. Now, here we go. This is the bit I've been looking forward to. There is a lot of jargon associated when we read about the French Fruit tradition and all these great players. There's a lot of words that pop up and the amount of people that misunderstand the translations and fuck it up is unbelievable. So I'm going to do this now. We're going to get this all sorted out. This is all the words you need to know about this. I know these are all right. These are 100% right. I studied there. I lived there. I've done the Concours de Flute. I've done Premier Prix. I know all this. So listen to me now. This is true God's bill, all right? So the French conservatoire system at the minute. We're going to start with the word conservatoire, okay? The English version, so conservatoire is a French word. The English version of it is conservatoire. Americans will call it a conservatory. That is not a direct translation. In English... We associate the word conservatoire with third level education, i.e. after high school, university level, you get your degree there. That's what conservatoires are. In France, that is not the case. Conservatoire just means it's a specialist place to learn the arts. So you have music conservatoires, you have dance conservatoires, you have all that, as we do in English. But when kids go after school to music lessons, when they're six years old, they don't go to music school, they go to conservatoire. Okay? And it's the same word, and they mean it in the same way. Conservatoire is just a word for a place of study. It doesn't have a certain level to it. If you're talking about third level education, we are talking about a conservatoire supérieur, superior conservatoire. That's third level. And that's very different. Now, the Paris Conservatoire was formerly called the Conservatoire de Paris. That is true. Up until, I think it was like the 80s or so, it changed. It used to be, I don't know where the very first one was, but for a long time it was on Rue de Madrid, or Rue de Madrid in Paris, which is just by Saint-Lazare Station. There's a lot of cute music shops and stuff down there. It is not there anymore. There is a conservatoire there, but it's not the Paris Conservatoire, the one that we think it is. The name of the Paris Conservatoire now is the CNSM de Paris. CNSM de Paris. Conservatoire National Supérieur de Musique de Paris. CNSM. And even in English, we tend to say CNSM. We don't say CNSM. But when people in, Paris, in France are talking about it now, they don't say, I'm go- I study at the Conservatoire de Paris. You just say, le CNSM. Sometimes you'll say CNSM de Paris to differentiate from the CNSM de Lyon. Talk about that in a minute. Go on Google Paris Conservatoire and see what comes up. You will get so confused. There's so many of them. Because in Paris City, the centre of Paris itself, Paris is divided into 20 districts that are called arrondissements. Okay? And each arrondissement has a conservatoire. And these conservatoires go up to a high level. And each conservatoire has a name. So you have maybe the conservatoire of the 19th arrondissement is called the Conservatoire Jacques Ibert, the Ibert Conservatoire. There's a Mozart Conservatoire, there's a Chopin Conservatoire, uh, there's a Charles Munch, what else is there? Uh, Duca, the guy with Sorcerer's Apprentice. All those. So they've got a name. They've got a Conservatoire Régional, number and name. That's why there's shitloads of conservatoires in Paris. I studied at 
on the side. I studied at a superior conservatoire, but I studied on the side at my local one. I took a class in orchestration in French purely so I could use the practice rooms because the conservatoire in the 19th, the Ebert Conservatoire, was right beside my apartment. I used to live on Avenue Simon Bolivar, right beside it, so I could go there and practice every day for free. So I signed up to it just for that reason. Um, and then I also taught in the 15th Conservatoire and the 13th Conservatoire. I can't remember which ones they are. I think it's Chopin and I want to say Mozart, but I've forgotten. And I took a little bit in the 20th, which was the Appellaches. That's the Munch Conservatoire. In any case, I've taught in a few as well. Now, these conservatoires, the regional ones in the districts, they have lessons from beginners, kids, four years old, right up to usually people in their late teens or adults as well who are doing non-third level studies. So you're still doing advanced level studies, but you're not doing a degree yet. So you could be getting ready to go to a conservatoire supérieur afterwards. Um, for superior conservatoires in Paris there's only a few okay now the center of the district conservatoires the 20 arrondissements they have a headquarters called the CRR de Paris the Conservatoire Rayonnement Régional I think it is it's on the old site where the Conservatoire de Paris was the CNSM the one we know flute players know the one in the 1900s on Rue de Madrid is now the CRR de Paris that's their headquarters now, the headquarters does offer third-level tuition. It is a superior conservatoire. So you can go a bit further with it. So usually, when you go to your local conservatoire, you'll study to a certain level. When you get to a certain cycle, or a certain level, a certain diploma, you will move on, and then that level, the higher level, will only be offered in the CIR. So you have to go to the centre of Paris to get your lessons then. And it's a very high level. These are all state-run, by the way. Now, yeah, so the CR is usually viewed as a stepping stone before you go on to the CNSM, which is the be-all and end-all. There are other sup, so superior conservatoires around Paris, outside Paris City itself. So there's one in Boulogne, I think. I think there's one in Vance. Is there one in Vincennes? There's a couple around Paris, the greater Paris region. But in Paris itself, if you wanted to study flute to a bachelor or master's level, there are only three places you can do it, okay, for those systems that level, superior, at the top. You have the CNSM de Paris, which we've talked about. You have the École Normale de Musique de Paris, where I studied. And you have a smaller place called La Scola Cantorum de Paris. That's the three conservatoires. Now, La Scola, we'll start with, it's a small, independent conservatoire. It's actually a beautiful place. It is so nice. I nearly studied there, but before I went there, my teacher moved to the École Normale, so I went with her. But it is a beautiful, small, independent music school. It is private, but it doesn't cost that much compared to the American or British tuition fees. You're talking a couple of thousand euros a year, four or five thousand, that's your tuition. Um, it's beautiful, it's small. Vincent Luca is the flute teacher there at the minute. It's a it's a bit of a hidden gem in Paris. It's kind of given a bit of space. If you go to study there, you're more introverted artist type. Forêt used to run it and Vincent Dandy, those kind of people ran the school. And it's kind of like a little artist haven. It's very quiet, and it's very out of the way. They have beautiful little dinners in the summer and all, and you get to know everyone very personally. It's a small school, but it's beautiful. Now, the other two... We have the École Normale de Musique de Paris. That's where I studied. That's a major conservatoire, hundreds of students, exactly as we know a conservatoire. So when you think that that level is really only two in Paris, it's the CNSM and the École Normale. Now, the École Normale was started in the early 1900s by Alfred Cortot. He was a piano player, a very famous one, or Alfred Gatto, and it was started as an alternative to the CNSM. For a few reasons, one was because at the time the CNSM was favouring taking more vocal students than it was instrumental. So Alfred Cato opened the Econ Normale as an alternative to get instrumental students in. 
um, also to get more piano students in and to introduce a slightly different teaching idea to the Ecole Normale. The Conservatoire de Paris or the CNSM was viewed as a little bit too elitist and a little bit too strict and Foucaulta wanted to bring in a more familial atmosphere to his conservatoire. So the Ecole Normale has a slightly different vibe to it. It's in a beautiful old building. It's like something out of like a palace. There's chandeliers in all the rooms and big gold ornate paintings and everything. It's an incredible building. I love studying there. It is beautiful, old, dusty, gorgeous building in Paris. Um, in comparison to the CNSM, by the way, which is a very modern building. But anyway, so I went to the Ecole Normale. They have loads of flute teachers there. I should have got the list of them. Fuck, I didn't. But anyway, who teaches there? Uh, Catherine Canton, my old teacher, Catherine Canton. Uh, who else is there? Vicente Pratt is there at the minute. Shigenoi Kudo is there. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Claude Lefebvre is there. Incredible flute player. Jean Ferrandis, hello. Incredible guy. Incredible flute player. He's there. Mihi Kim's there, although I'm not going to say too much on that. But generally, they're good teachers. So there's quite a few teachers in flute, different classes. Now, where else can you study? Outside of Paris, there is another CNSM, Conservatoire National de Supérieure de Musique, in Lyon. So when we say the CNSM, we probably mean Paris. To differentiate, you would say the CNSM de Lyon. Lyon is the second biggest city in France. The teacher there at the minute is still Julien Baudimont. Fucking adore him, my man. Um, yeah, so that's the two big conservatoires in France. Paris is definitely viewed as this bigger one, the better one. Lyon is the alternative. And the Ecole Normale is the private school that other people go to. That's the three. Now, my fucking coffee's going cold. Right, concours. This is a word that I get, I hear thrown about so much and so misunderstood. Concours. This the anglicized version as best I can do it. The concours de flute. You've all read about it. Concours directly translates to English as competition, but it is not a competition in this context, okay? It is a diploma. It is an exam that you do at the end of the year. It's just a slightly different system in France. Now, in the concours, it is true. Usually in the Paris Conservatoire, a new piece will be written for it every year, which the students have to perform as part of it. If you get that book of French music by French composers, they're all conservatoire test pieces. Um... But that's where you've heard of the word. But it is not a competition. I've played in it. I can guarantee you and that's how it works. In Superior Conservatoires, right? You study. You do your degree. It's not a set amount of time. You don't study for X amount of years. You study until you get everything. Until you get all the different parts of your degree. Unlike the UK where you study for four years. If you don't get it, shit, you're out of luck. In Paris, you keep, in France, you keep going until you get all the different modules to pass your degree. The last module you will get is the Concours de Flûte. Okay, and you cannot graduate until you get this. Now, the Concours de Flute, it is a couple of rounds, all public, and it usually has one set piece with a program built around it. So to get your diploma, to get your bachelor degree or your master's degree, you have to pass this Concours at some point. Some people take years to do it. Some people have a good four or five years trying on it to try and get through this. Now, Premier Prix, you've heard directly translate the first prize it is not a prize it is a grade it is a level you get to you can have multiple people getting the premier prix you can have zero people getting the premier prix it is a grade it is one of a few grades that will allow you to get the diploma they're counted as a pass but it is not first prize there is many people that can get it no people can get it so you don't compete against each other in the concours. It's not a competition against each other. There is a set bar and a standard for all the different diplomas. You get them, you get your diploma. Some years loads of people get them, some people get fuck all. So I'll tell you how it worked for me at the Ecole Normale. I did a couple of ones because I did a couple of different cycles and went through them. When I was doing the concours, what would happen is I finished my degree or my 
the economy the ran a different system the bachelor and master at that time but my diploma it had a couple of different modules you know harmony theory sight reading i passed all the exams and at the last module to pass to get my diploma was the flute concours the way it works is there's maybe i don't know 50 or 100 people on my diploma level on flute well maybe about 50 um six weeks before the concours they will announce the program it'll be a, normally the first round will be a study or an etude um and that's it so you'll go into a big hall six weeks later you all go up one by one in front of a jury and perform your etude if they deem you good enough to pass to the next round you go through to the next round which is the public round normally it's only two rounds the public round again it'll be a number of weeks later a few weeks before you will get an email or a list somewhere saying this is what the past the test piece is this year for what for example one year it was the waltz the goddard waltz you know that kind of stuff and then you have to build a program around it normally your program has to feature something classical something romantic something baroque and something contemporary and it has to be like 45 minutes view it as a recital essentially second round there's much less people it is open to the public it's free people do come watch it it's in the beautiful uh, concert hall uh, my one was anyway and it's got a jury and they will score you and they will give you a rating on it so the jury at the economy emmanuel Bu was frequently on the jury they will get outside flute players and well-known ones. They normally won't get anyone who has a student in the exam. So they get outside players and to judge it. You go in, you perform your thing. In the Econ Normale, we didn't actually have premier prix. That's what we didn't call it at my cycle. What we had was you passed. You passed with félicitations of the jury. So congratulations from the jury. So like, a special, like that's the level above passing. And then the highest grade that you could get was félicitations et unanimité du jury. So that's like, congratulations and unanimity so the whole jury agrees that you should get the congratulations that's the three levels you could get some years loads of people got the top grade some years people didn't once you get the grade in some kind of way you get your diploma you can leave but it takes people some amount of years because of the system it can be quite stressful so it's grades for an exam premier prix is a grade concours or an exam recital not competition please get that in your heads now the current system how long are we on here? 37 minutes. Oh, we're doing well. We're doing well. Okay, we're nearly done. Uh, the current system of how it works in France. Uh, so you'll hear me on this podcast bang on about certain French flute players. One French flute player, particularly you've probably heard me bang on about more than all others. But you're thinking, well, what, they're so great. Why are they not teaching at the, the CNSM? Why are they not at the main... Why are they not getting the main job? What do you have to do? It's not not just a lack of positions first of all there's only two flute jobs at the cnsm but it's also this is the mecca for flute teachers to get the teaching job at the cnsm usually means your solo career will die down quite a bit you don't normally have a lot of time to have an orchestral career behind it it is the job in the flute world it is the biggest job on planet earth for a flute teacher is to teach at the Paris conservatoire it is a massive job you have to have proven yourself over different conservatoires excellence in students you have to be a true pedagogue not just a flute player um, for example, my favorite flute player, as we all know, is Magalie Meunier. She teaches at the CRL de Paris, so the, the headquarters of the regional ones. That's the level she's at. There are loads of great French flute players in Paris teaching at the smaller conservatoires. There are some great ones. You don't know who's going to be where. Uh, for example, my old teacher, Catherine Cantan, uh, who was principal for the Paris Opera, she was in the Econ but she was also teaching at one of the local regional conservatoires. I think she was at the 13th, whatever one that you got one was, or the 15th. Um, if you go to a random conservatoire in Paris, you never know what teacher you're going to find. There's 20 of these small conservatoires in the city, just in the city, not in the suburbs. You never know who's going to be there. It could be a great principal flute of some orchestra. 
It usually is. Um, yeah. Ah, I do have a list of the Economy teachers. Ah, the teachers at the Economy de Musique de Paris. Catherine Quentin, Sylvia Carreau, Jean Ferrandis, Claude Lefebvre, Vicente Pratt, Mihi Kem, oopsies, and yeah. Philippe Legos was also there in Chicken Rikudo. I think it's still there. Sylvia Carreau's there. Like, Jesus Christ. So, um, what was I going to say? All French conservatoires, music schools operate on a class system. Oh, not a social class system. Yeah, this is the last thing. So, you'll hear people talk about when they studied in Paris. They'll say, oh, I was in Rampal's class. Or you hear me say, I was in Catherine's class. I was in Catherine's class. And then Americans or people who study in a one-to-one instrumental environment will say the same thing. But you're not in someone's class. The reason we say this in France is because it is a class system. When you go to your foot lessons in France, this is a massive part of French learning. They are never one-to-one. Okay, you go in with all the students of that teacher. The teacher will rent a room for the day. For example, with Catherine, when I first joined, there was 11 of us in her class that she admitted. We would all go in in the morning at nine o'clock, sit in a big room, and you would have a lesson in front of everybody else. So you would get up. You should say, right, who wants to play first? You put your hand up. Right, up you get. Uh, Catherine, for example, her system was we had to bring an etude every week, and we had to bring a back etude every week, as well as have all our scales ready. And then we do rep on top of that. Um, so you get up, you play, you do your thing. She would talk on almost like an open masterclass to your own students. The handy thing about it is if she talks about a certain subject, I don't know, articulation or rhythm with one student, if it applies to another student, we've already heard it. We can move past and do something else. It's great. The other good thing slash bad thing, double-edged sword, is you're always playing in front of people. It does bring a competitive nature to it. You do not want to have a bad lesson in France because you're doing it in front of everybody. So the stress levels get very fucking high. I've had bad lessons before for teachers and you've just mentioned, you know what, this is shit. It's embarrassing, but it's shit and I'm sorry. If you have one in France, all your colleagues are watching you and they're all sitting there and they smell blood and they know if they go up next, they'll look good. And it is very competitive. But the class system is very French. It's very socialist as well because in the music schools, you can go to any class. And to be honest, even if you're not registered to study, like I went to watch Philippe Bernal's class in the CNSM loads of times. I just went and knocked the door and said, hey, I'm a flute player, do you mind if I watch? If he knows you or if, he, if you know someone that knows him, they're usually okay with it, okay? I'm, you have to be quite subtle about it, but if you know someone who knows them and they can vouch for you, you can go watch. But if you're registered in the school, you can go watch any class. If I had a day free in the economy matter, a few hours free, I'd go check out the list at the front door, see who's teaching where, and just knock the door and say, hey, do you mind if I just sit in and listen to you for a few hours? That's the way the system works. It's very important in France that that's how it works. No teacher would ever say no, ever. They love having people. I've watched cello classes and bassoon classes and I've watched everything. It's a great way to do it. Um, so yeah, that's that's a long tradition of French school. So, right, we've got the 40 minutes here. I think I've explained everything about the French flute school. I really hope I have. I hope I fucking explained it clearly. And I hope we've got some misconceptions and some mistranslations out of the way. And we've got an understanding of this. Now... I could go on longer, but I'm going to save the more specific stuff for future episodes. This is a this is a icebreaker. This is our first day. This is our aperitif before we get into the main course. And the reason I'm doing it today as well is, as I said, it will be in Paris. I'm hoping to get some French food Paris on. Fuck, I would love that. But if you've made it this far, let me know what you thought of the podcast. Did you learn something new? Um, do you have any French pieces that you like? That book of French... French music by French composers, all the pieces, and the Chaminade Concertinos in it and all that, they're all great. 
If you want to listen to other great pieces from Concours pieces, go a little bit later. Go to like Le Melon Noir by Olivier Messiaen or Dutilleux or Sankin or all those kind of composers. Fucking amazing. And listen to what the players are playing now. You know, compositions by people like Dalbavie and Ersan. There's incredible things going on in Paris. Incredible flute test pieces every fucking year they're coming out. Um, let me know what you liked. Let me know your favourite French players, your favourite French pieces. Do you think you come from a French tradition? Have you learned another definition of this French flute school or what did you think it was? Come and tell me how you're wrong and I'll correct. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm not that much up my own arse. Very fragile. So anyway, I will be in France when this comes out probably. I'll be there in 24 hours time. I'll probably be sucking on a red, a red wine, a Vin Diesel. And I will hopefully have some great interviews for you. If not, there will be big ones coming up. Now that my time's a bit more my own, the run-up before Christmas was fucking horrific. I have got so much more free time now. I feel so much better now. So there will be big interviews coming up. So until then, take it easy. I'm going to go record another episode now to stick out next week. And then I'm going to start pre-drinking for France. Guys, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy whatever you're doing. Have a wonderful start to 2024. Be gentle on yourself as well. Don't set too many fucking resolutions. Be easy on yourself. I haven't practiced at all this week. I haven't looked at the flute. And I probably won't either. So don't feel bad about it. It's the first week of the new year. Don't push yourselves. Look after yourselves. Dog bless. I love you all. Big smooches. Mwah.